the answer to life, the universe and everything. Greetings and welcome to episode 42 of Eastern Promise. I'm Mike Rigby and this is Eastern Promise, the podcast that is a tireless champion of our region's cultural, environmental and socio-economic well-being in Cambridgeshire, Suffolk, Norfolk and Essex. This week, I'm talking to David Powells, former editor of the Eastern Daily Press, about his five years helming a newspaper that is, in many ways, the authentic voice of Norfolk, particularly its market towns and villages. We'll be chatting about how David got started in journalism, his belief in the positive power of the press, and how he led the charge for the 27th of July to become Norfolk Day. And finally, you share your sparkling recommendations for the best fireworks displays to be found in our region. So break out the cinder toffee for crowd sorcery. Every so often, a leader, an opinion former, a stalwart of the East of England, steps down from the role that's marked and defined them for many years and moves on to pastures new. With them, they take a huge amount of institutional memory and the experience of making real change happen, not just in their own organisation or sector, but across the region. I've made it a bit of a mission to intercept these men and women capturing that memory, their thoughts and some words of wisdom before they take their next steps forward. My guest this week is no exception. He is David Powells, former editor of the Eastern Daily Press, who led the paper for five years from 2017 to 2022. During that time, he and the paper campaigned on mental health issues and there is no denying that the EDP, as it's known, is emblematic of Norfolk and North Suffolk in a way that very few local newspapers, certainly those outside major cities, can achieve. I met up with David on a cold but bright October morning at Whittlingham Country Park near Norwich. Hello, I'm David Powles, the former editor uh, of the Eastern Daily Press now currently taking a bit of time out to work out what to do next. Well, I love doing interviews like this, talking to people like you uh, who've kind of achieved pinnacles in, in east, the east of England and Norfolk uh, society uh, when they've sort of stepped down from that role, those roles, however that happens, <laughs> to, to sort of you know, get a valedictory view of the landscape and before you kind of get, you, you're thrown into other stuff and you, and you, and you want to you focus on that. So um, Tell us, David Powells, about the, the, the David Powells journey to this point, wow. to, the, to the EDP. Give us, give us a bit of a potted history well, of David um, Powells. Well, I was born in, I was born in Norwich, um, and despite growing up in, in Suffolk, um, Norfolk and Norwich was always the place that I kind of looked to as home. I'd come to Norwich as often as I, as I could. 
Um, I knew that I always wanted to settle here. I mean, who wouldn't want to? It's a fantastic place. Um, at the age of 16, like a lot of teenagers, didn't have a clue what I wanted to do in my life. So um, at that point, I thought I'd probably become a teacher. Because <laughs> I think there's a famous phrase about those who can't. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's appropriate anymore, to be honest. There's some great teachers out there. And um, really, a journalist from the Free Press in Suffolk kind of changed my life. Um, we had a careers talk in uh, my school and she came in to talk about her career as journalism and literally I went home that night. I'd never even considered journalism as a, as a career, Did, kind of didn't even know it was out there. Said to my parents, I want to be a journalist. Um, it sounds amazing, sounds really interesting and uh, um, within about six months I was doing my first work experience at the Eastern Daily Press mm. um, in their old office in Fetford. And uh, so I was kind of, kind of gone full circle. First day on the job was unbelievable. We were, um, ended up being called to a, a murder in Brandon. Um, it's a long story. I ended up rowing a boat down a river um, <laughs> with a journalist and a photographer trying to get closer to the, to the story. Um, and that night phoned my mum and said, can I stay later? They said I can stay to help them write up the story. And I was kind of hooked on, hooked on journalism from, from that moment, did journalism at university. Uh, first job in Preston in Lancashire was journalism. Um, and then moved to the Midlands to work on a paper called the Burton Mail, which is where I met my now wife, Kim, who's also a journalist and um, managed to drag her down to, to Norfolk, not <laughs> kicking and screaming. She knew it was a great place to be. Um, 16 and a half years ago, we both were lucky enough to get a job at the, at the Norwich Evening News. And then I guess the next 16 years, working my way on various roles at uh, Archant. Um, I was a digital editor. I launched our investigations um, unit, which was the first one that Archant had ever had. Um, was editor of the Norwich Evening News for about six months. And then um, nearly six years ago, uh, managed to get what I describe as my, as my dream job. Um, was offered the job to be editor of the Eastern Daily Press. Pretty much from the moment I decided to want to be a journalist, my aim was I'd, was to be editor of the Eastern Daily Press. My, it was a big paper in my family. My grand would always, my grand lived in, and granddad lived in uh, near Beckles. And you know, I can just remember as a kid, they'd always be like, have you seen so-and-so in the EDP? Did you see what it said yeah. in the EDP? And I think that just, I don't know, that just kind of embedded into, into my soul. And um, yeah, always wanted to, to do that job. And, and that's what I've been doing for the last six years until now. What difference would you say journalism makes in our communities, in, in, in Norfolk in particular? Because quite often, uh, or frequently, in fact, my, my former boss, Richard Bacon, who's MP for South Norfolk, uh, would describe the EDP as the paper of record. I mean, it is kind of the, the, the spirit of Norfolk in, in print, as it were. Yeah, um, I think it's a really good question. I think there's almost two elements to the answer. Um, I mean, I, I really believe in, in journalism as a kind of force for, for good. Um, you know, obviously, without good journalism, there's so much in the world that we, that we wouldn't know about that enables us all to be informed, that enables us to make informed decisions. That can be right from, you know, whose side are you on when it comes to Russia and Ukraine, down to someone's building a shed in, in the next field to me. Um, I need to know about it because I need to have the chance to have my say or not. Um, so I think that good local journalism has a massive impact on, on the world and on, on smaller communities. Um, but I think also in, in a place like, like Norfolk, um, we've always been really, really fortunate. I've always been fortunate when I've worked for the EDP in that 
Um, I think that the EDP is kind of embedded in, in Norfolk's culture still, mm. and that isn't the case. Um, you know, all over the over the country anymore, sadly. Mm. Um, but I think that you know the EDP still has a real a real impact, and I think that um, you know that's in Norfolk, the EDP, when it does good local journalism, um, it's still massively important in terms of shaping those opinions, in terms of holding people like Richard Bacon, um, people like the councillors, um, to account, in terms of celebrating the success of someone like Norwich City, you know, mm. we, I think often when you talk about journalism, you talk about all the virtuous stuff, all the kind of, um, you know, almost like the cliches, yes. um, holding to account and all that sort of stuff. But don't forget how good journalism can kind of really unite a community. Mm. Um, now, obviously, I, t I use the example of Norwich City promotions. Now, obviously, it's Norwich City that have united the community there, but also, how many people save the supplements because they want to look back on it in years to come? You yeah. know? How many people um, come to the website because they want to read about it? How many people listen to the podcasts or, yeah. or whatever because they want, to sh they want to just share in that kind of, that feeling of, of joy? So I think that you know, good journalism is often connected to negative stuff maybe, but equally, you know, when there's, there's good times as well, it's, it's really, really important. I think, I think the, tr the, the trouble is we tend that perhaps negative, the negative things, maybe tend to dwell in the psyche longer than positive. Mm. Oh, that's nice. I mean, I, it's funny you should say that. I do have the copy of the EDP from the day my daughter was born. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which, is, which is lovely. It's, it's still sitting there in, in sort of pristine condition. I've got all the printouts and, and saved uh, from the E-edition in, in what I uh, uh, amusingly call my portfolio, which, which is uh, all the various press releases that have got coverage <laughs> over the years. Um, but you talked about... Um, your, your introduction to the world of journalism in that boat. I'm just interested to know what are the, sto the sorts of stories or topics that really uh, either previously or, or indeed still get your, get your, your sort of journalist juices yeah. flowing thinking, I really want to get into, into the guts of that. Because I, I can't imagine it's, it's the whole sort of gamut. No, of there are no. certain things that I you... mean, I think, one of my, I think one of the reasons, many reasons I, I love journalism and, and wanted to, to go into journalism was because I just find people fascinating. Um, I just think every, I ge generally, you know, everyone's a, has got a story. I could sit, I'm not boasting here, Mike, but I could sit down with you for an hour and interview you and <laughs> I'll come away and I'll write uh, something now I can write up. He's got a fascinating story to tell. Everyone has got a story to tell. No, he hasn't. And, uh, <laughs> he hasn't. He really hasn't. I'm sure you have, Mike. We've had some good chats already this morning. And, <laughs> and, you know, you've got plenty of experience that people would find fascinating. So I think that my, you know, my favourite um, Journalism is, is focused on on people and their stories and getting getting to know people. Um, and I'd say the, the other thing that I talk a lot about over um, when I get asked a question of that, some of the campaigns that we've done um, is the stuff that really kind of floats my boat. And and really tried. You can overdo campaigns, but um, if you do them when they really uh, are needed, you can make a big difference. And the, 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 probably the thing I'm most proud of during my career in journalism was the Mental Health Watch campaign, which yes. um, we launched when I was investigations editor. At the time, it didn't really fit the remit of an investigations team, but I was really aware that there was lots of problems in, that, in the Mental Health Trust. Um, I had my own very personal experience involving a friend where a friend had a mental health crisis and I didn't feel like I was fully equipped to react to that. And that sort of scared me a little bit. And I thought, you know, that if I feel like that, how many other people feel like that? And then clearly at that time, we were talking seven or eight years ago, you know, we were still in a, in a period where 
there was a a bit of a stigma and b the, i don't think the awareness was great and um i felt that the only way we were going to get on top of all of those issues the failing trust um you know how to react when you're faced with mental health crisis was actually by delving into that subject um, so I asked Nigel Pickover, who's the editor at the time, yeah. could I take two or three weeks to actually almost to, to just kind of really, really get, get into that subject. I spent time with Norfolk and Waveney Mind and with the Trust, spoke to campaigners, spoke to pet, um, families. Um, and out of that, we launched the Mental Health Watch campaign. We came up with a manifesto of 10 things that you know, we wanted to see um, sorted. Sadly, you know, I think that a lot of those would still would still exist now, which yeah. you know you could say, well, does that mean the campaign failed? Um, I'd I'd like to think that over the then the next seven years, the EDP became quite renowned for the way it, it covered mental health. Right from you know there were certain photos that we won't use, and, and in the newsroom, everyone knew that you know there's a way that you don't portray mental health stories because it kind of it kind of adds to the to the cliches that are out there, and, yes. and it's unhelpful. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm really proud of, and I believe that we did a lot a lot to kind of help spread awareness and put put a lot of um, effort into to, to really kind of putting the, the trust under pressure to improve you know sadly that still hasn't happened um, but I do think that campaign did a lot of good so it's those sorts of campaigns I love social journalism you know when we did lots of stuff over the last couple of years or over the universal credit and you know when they they went back to um, sort of having less universal credit so I, I really like the kind of the people side and the, and the social yeah. journalism side I guess I think I think uh, you, you just my observation would be no, that absolutely didn't fail because I think if you can change one person's perspective, and I'm not, I wouldn't count myself as a journalist, but if you could change one person's perspective, then I think you know absolutely it's been worth it because you know particularly on mental health, it's a very it's a very difficult subject, especially for I think for families uh, to to deal with and to to know that there's a source out there you can yeah. turn to for you know for for for. Uh, uh, balanced uh, conversation and information I think is, is, is great and, and all credit to your elbow. Um, well this is, is the thing, right? do I mean that? All, all power to you. Um, well this is the know. thing about, about um, mental health and the thing about journalism, you, you get the chance to become an expert on that so if, if it changed one person's perspective, well I feel I could sit, sit in a room and talk about mental health with pretty sound knowledge now mm. and and I feel that if someone came up to me in a, in a mental health crisis, as had happened at that time, I know how to, how to react. So you get the chance as a journalist to, to better yourself as well, because you learn about these things that um, you perhaps wouldn't other, otherwise know about. Does the EDP shape its audience, or does the audience shape the EDP? Or, or is that any paper, any paper, a, not just the EDP? It's a great question. I think there's got to be a bit of both. Mm. I think it's got to be a bit of both. You've got to be brave enough sometimes to say this isn't right we believe it isn't right and we're going to kind of hang our hat on this campaign and we know that not every reader is is going to agree with that but it's part of showing this is what the edp is about but equally you know you've also got to realize that if you go too far away from from your average reader then they suddenly think well this paper or this website doesn't chime with me at all, so why would I carry on reading it? So it's a, yeah. it's a really, really... It's a tough one, isn't it's it? It is a tough one, and there's loads... Of, you know, we could sit here and write, do a list of divisive issues um, that are out there, politics being, you know, the amount of times that I'd get an email that says, you're so Tory, why are you so Tory, David Powers? And then the next day, stop being so left-wing and, and 
then you must stop be being so labour. Then the next day you're being so slanted on the on the Lib Dems um, this week. And I always used to say, and whether it was right, it was just a bit of kind of self reassurance, and I always used to say, well, as long as ev- we're getting accused of being on the side of everyone, we're doing yeah, something. Yeah, we're right. doing right. So exactly, um, that's what we're going to say. You know, if they're all angry with you, you must be on the right yeah. lines. So <laughs> I think there are, there are times where and I'll give you an example. Um, the offshore offshore wind, um, massively divisive issue because mm-hmm. you've got a small but influential group of people who are going to be really, really directly affected by um, the building of of all of the network of cables yeah. and stuff that needs to be done. Massively, massively against it, and you can understand why. But then you've got the wider picture of you know if we don't look to alternative sources of energy, um, then you know that we're screwed. And equally there's a massive opportunity for Norfolk around uh, um, offshore energy to become famous for something. So on that issue, you know, I would, I would sit there thinking, right, well, how do we go here? And actually, um, we came out and we were criticised for it. And we said, you know, we will continue to represent every side on this. And we would have the wind turbine firm saying you're giving too much scope to the campaigners yeah. and the campaigners saying you get. But we came out and said that actually we believe for the good of Norfolk and for the good of this country, offshore wind is, is the way to go. Now that was a, quite a risk because probably the people who were campaigning out in North Norfolk, they're you're kind of die-hard EDP readers. But we felt that that was the right thing to do and therefore we had to, to, to make yeah. that statement. If you overdo that, then people just think, God, the EDP is always telling me what to think. I don't like it. So it's, it's such a balance. It is such a balance, but you've, you've, you've obviously got a lot of experience in, in, in making, making good calls on mm. that one. Um, I don't know. You just go with your gut. Do, do you ever <laughs> see things like... I, 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 what I love about doing this is you can really sort of chase down your interests and, and ask questions that are just really of interest to me. <laughs> and, um, but do you ever see a sort of press releases come through from, from anywhere and you look at them and you think, ooh, I wouldn't have said it like that. <laughs> if, you want, if you want to get anywhere with our readers, I wouldn't have oh, said it like that. Oh, oh abs- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, how many, oh, not even just press releases, you know, I mean, how many conversations have I had with council press officers who are tearing their hair out um, because one of their councillors has said something completely and utterly, um, you know, the completely and utterly skewed and isn't going to go down well with the large majority of, of Norfolk. And um, yeah, it, happen, it happens all the time. Yeah. But then that's life, isn't it? I mean, yeah. even the most ex- respected and experienced politicians sometimes say, Whoopsie daisy. <laughs> something that doesn't look good no, when, it, when it, it's written down on paper or when it's you know put in the context or whatever you know it happens all the time yes but. yes indeed it does thinking about skills in particular that's always an area that time and time again that the that the the, the east of england and norfolk seem to bring up as an issue yeah and what would be the way, I mean, I'm trying not to ask you your opinion on the subject as much as I'm sort of interested in where you are with a, a journalist's hat, in where you would look to, 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 to bring attention to something like skills and how you'd go about and how you have gone about that in the past. Yeah, I, I think that the, skill, the skills are here and we've got some fa- fantastic um, colleges and universities. The UEA is a phenomenal place and you, when you see how well connected it is to the research park, um, for people to go to experience to the hospital, um, the newer is one of the leading universities in its in its field. So I, I, I don't I don't believe that it, that the skills and getting people the skills is is the problem. I think that the problem is getting people here. The problem is making people realise 
this is a fantastic place yeah. to have a family, to, to live. You don't have to be in London to be ambitious. Um, and I think it's all a, it's all a question of, of image and, and, and reputation. We used to have terrible trouble um, getting people to, to come to Norfolk as, as journalists. I think the skills are there. I think there's, there's plenty of people at, at the UBA who've got the skills to, to become journalists. Of too often, they'd go to the UBA and then they go somewhere else yeah. or they grow up in Norwich and decide, you know what, I'm a bit bored with Norwich, I'm going to go somewhere else. But and I'm a great example of this. Lots of them then, then come back. Actually, um, I was going to say, yeah. Lots of them come back. So I don't think we have. I genuinely, and I, you know, I wouldn't claim to be able to have the evidence to back this up other than you know, what I see have seen in my job. I don't think we have a skills issue here. I think we have a, a, a retainment of people issue. And everyone knows that. I mean, there's been a campaign launch recently, hasn't it? Yeah. To come and work it, come and work in Norwich. Um, yeah, that, win. Win, win in Norwich, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, the, it's one of the biggest issue, issues we, we face is, is getting really good people here. Be interesting to see if that changes because, you know, the, everyone talks about how the pandemic has made people look at things through a different lens. Yes, I think that, that was the thing that's come up again and again. And it's interesting you say that because I covered uh, Condimentum, which is a fantastic example, and we'll come on to, 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 to Norfolk and Norfolk Day in a minute, of, um, uh, of, of a brand that's so closely associated with Norwich being kept here. And, you know, Unilever being open to sort yeah. of saying, all right, we'll give it a go. The, the guy who runs Condimentum, I interviewed him a couple of months ago, is a guy called Dave Martin. I've not, though. No. Uh, he's a scouser. Uh, and he said, um, I'm going to do a very bad impression, sorry, Dave, is that uh, I said, I'll get some, uh, my uh, CFO to, to talk to you because he's, he's got a Norfolk accent. And I'm like, no, 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 I want you. Because you are a shiny example of how we, I say we, can, uh, the raw we, can pull in talent yeah. from anywhere. Uh, if we've got the right offer and we've got the right draw. He, he probably stands out, sticks out like a sore thumb because we're so unused to having <laughs> outsiders think, I'm going to go to Norfolk, it'll be a great place to, to, to grow my, my business. But I think we've got to get over that, you know. I think that, um, and I felt, I felt this in journalism. It, it almost felt when I first came into the industry that you only made it in journalism if you went and worked for a national in London. Yeah. And it was never an ambition of mine because I never really had a desire to live in London. And I have quite strong views about some of the national press versus the impact, positive impact that local press can have. I have quite strong views on that. Um, yeah, it felt like you were only considered a good journalist if you worked for a national in, in London. I think that's absolute, absolute tosh. And you, and what is success and what is ambition anyway? I don't, I don't think it is burning yourself out mm. living in a tiny house because you're in London um, but having like the best title going I think that it's doing a job that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning and makes you happy that is that for me is success I think it's, life is too short to to just kind of work yourself to the to the bone in a job yeah. you don't like so success for me anyway is working in a beautiful part of the world doing a job that you go do you know what that that does some good and it gets yeah. me out of bed in the morning so Norfolk Day, I, <laughs> my I, baby, well, I my, know, third I was, my third you know child. What? I went into um, the goat shed at Honningham to record a tour there with Sam Steggles and look at cheese making. And we walked into the shop and there it was, a stand bedecked with the Norfolk flag. Fantastic. For Norfolk Day, which kind of tells you whenabouts in the year it was. And, and I, you know, just that, 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 that just shows how something that you come up with can stick in the popular imagination. Tell us 
the story of Norfolk <laughs> Day and how it came about. Well, it's not probably not the most exciting story going. I will because, be the judge of that. Well, thank you. Like, but I'm always quite honest about it, and I have been on. Um, Chris Gorham will have heard this, this this speech numerous times when we've done stuff about Norfolk Down Radio Norfolk. You know, like the like the, the majority of the best ideas, steal someone else's idea, but do it be- do it better. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, we were aware that there was a Yorkshire Day, I think, claims to be the first one. And oh, they claim all sorts. They claim all sorts in Yorkshire. And uh, Suffolk, and it was decided, I don't know who, but to do one in Suffolk, to do a Suffolk Day. And um, I remember at the time thinking, that, that was a great idea. I don't think they quite nailed it. And I've Imitation mean, is the sincerest And I mean that both flattery. in terms of how spread in the county, but also kind of how we'd covered it in media and how we'd got not quite got behind it, I felt, as well as we could. So I approached um, BBC Radio Norfolk and said, um, how do you feel about us doing a Norfolk day? Um, and they were well up for it. We, you know, we worked together every now and then and, and um, decided to kind of really, really work together on that. And, uh, and what we sort of five, six years later, um, you know, every year seems to grow a little bit and uh, yeah, I'm really, really proud of it. I think, you know, it's, let, let me be honest, you know, I, I knew it'd be really nice for us to do something, like you said earlier, you know, too often journalism is um, linked to kind of negative stuff. And I thought, well, if we're going to do this campaign that people might think, oh God, you know, it's a bit dreary or whatever and a bit, bit worthy, let's also do a campaign that's really positive. Let's just have a day where we just go on about how great Norfolk is. And I set the challenge, you know, let's trend on Twitter, let's get it in the national newspapers, let's get people outside of Norfolk going, what the heck is Norfolk Day? And hopefully not just making Alan Partridge jokes, because that tends to be what happens every Norfolk Day. Um, or even worse jokes, which we won't get yeah, into. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, um, better than, it's better than some of the others that, you know. I mean, I, I, I'm really proud of it. I think that it's something that is an opportunity. I mean, I always said that, you know, people would often come come to us and say well what what should we do and I was like well that's our challenge really the challenge is for you to come up with something Norfolk Day it's an opportunity um I'd like to see it grow you know we we talked at the start about do we do a big event but we didn't really have the capability to do that um so we had to say no look our job is to be the driver of this and it's up to people I'd you know I'd love to see and I hope that you know it, the EDP will still continue to give it the, the the full kind of um backing that they did they did um when I was there because I'd love to see how it could grow over yeah. the next. What you really need is you need Norfolk Day to be on a Saturday or a Sunday, because I think that gives lots of opportunity for people to think a bit more out of the box about maybe bigger events, how they can kind of utilise it. That something like that could be the spark, because it's the same day every year, but obviously that means it's different days. So I think you know. I mean, the the, the current state of technology means, and you'll know this, that a single person or very small group of people can achieve huge things mm. just by sheer grit and sticking at stick at itness. I don't know what the objective is. <laughs> and determination yeah. and drive. You can and, and a bit of know-how, you can really take things on. And and I'll tell you what we're gonna do. And I've just thought of this while you were speaking. Oh god. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I try not to go down to the far the, the, the radio route, but what I'd like you to do is record me. It just just carry on speaking, obviously you don't have to stop stop and go, but if you just you know Say your name and wish people a very happy Norfolk Day. Oh, really? And we're going to we'll put it out. We'll save it for 2023 yeah, okay. and we'll put it out on Norfolk Day. So, you know, Brilliant. go okay. for it. Well, this is David Powles and I would like to wish the entire county of Norfolk a wonderful Norfolk Day.
Thank you very much. There you go. You'll be able to he hear it in advance when I put this out, and you'll be able to hear it on Norfolk Day uh, 2023. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um, you obviously, your, your focus is very much Norfolk, and quite rightly so, and I can see why that is. What is your view, I think, of, of, the, of Norfolk's place in the, the, the wider region? Because, as, you know, yeah. as, as you know, we, we, we recently sort of, I did a, a little thing focusing on uh, the links between Norfolk and Cambridge yeah. and Norwich and Cambridge. And, you know, if you look at where Cambridge is in terms of the lab space they need and their requirements, there is a massive, massive gap which just screams to me, opportunity. Yeah. And, but one of the things that came out of the chats we had with various people, and I'm sorry you, you weren't there actually because you'd have enjoyed it, is confidence. One of the big things is confidence. Yeah. And the, you know, the confidence with like Oxford or London or Birmingham or even sort of Milton Keynes would swagger in there and, and pitch to, to whoever about all their, their, their wares, as it were, as, 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 as an economy, as a place. Do you think Norfolk has, an, has a confidence problem? I think I think you're you're probably right. Um, I think that again we have a location problem. Cambridge has an instant advantage over us, and you know often when I do have discussions with places like the Norwich Research Park, amazing facility, you know they talk about the frustration that as far as their industry is concerned, the world kind of stops at Cambridge, and no one looks 40 miles or whatever it is down the road at Norwich where the facilities are are just as, as amazing. So maybe there's a confidence problem there in terms of we're not being strong enough and confident enough to break through some of those, um, you know, some of the, the inbuilt feelings that, that are out there. Um, I, I think, yeah, we do, we do have a, a confidence problem, but maybe some of that, I'm gonna set a challenge here because maybe some of that starts at, at the top and it's not just about confidence, maybe that's about coordination and unity and team working. Um, yeah. I get worried now this again, I can't present to you Mike a load of evidence on this, but I get worried by how many of our MPs are potentially distracted by other things. Mm. Now obviously if you're an MP, that is a real balance to strike, isn't it? Between you have an um, ambition and you might want to be Prime Minister or you might want to be Home Secretary, um, but equally you, have a, you, have a, um, you also have to represent your constituency. Um, I feel like five, six years ago, there was a mass, real unity between our MPs. I remember they described themselves as the, as the Norfolk Nine. Yes. Um, if it was nine, maybe. And I think a lot of that was, was due to the fact that they were all of, what, of the coalition government. There, there wasn't any yep. MP sitting in Norfolk. Yep. And this is no, you know, no slight on Clive Lewis at all, because, you know, that's politics. But they were all of one party. But just because they... Uh, are, not of one party, sorry, of, of the of governing one, yeah. coalition. But that... I don't believe that just because there are different parties, you know, Clive being the, the example, that that doesn't mean they can't work together. No, I agree. Know, uh, for, the better of, for the better of Norfolk. Um, I remember at that time, one of the big successes was the A, was the A11, final bit of the A11 duelling. Yes, and I remember it well. I remember it being commented in the budget, you know, how vocal how vocal the MPs have been about this. But I think there was some comment that, I can't remember who the um, minister would have been at the time and said, you know, and they referenced my friends in Norfolk will be delighted to hear that they can stop nagging me now. And I, that stuck with me years on, that they clearly, at, at, at the highest level of government, we were making inroads. Sorry for the, the roadie pun, but, you know, and that had been noticed. And my worry is right at that very top at the, at the MP level. And, you know, you do hear my job is very has been very privileged because you get to you get to hear from every single b 
bit of the kind of the echelons of Norfolk, the charity sector, the council sector, the MPs, the, you get to hear from everyone and you feel like you're sat in the middle and you get the chance to go, oh, this is interesting. And I feel like there's a general feeling that our MPs are, are distracted and perhaps not as united as they were. Great example of this, I mean, George, George Freeman won't mind me saying, you know, he's, a, he's quite a fawn in the side of some of the other Norfolk MPs at the minute. Now that's, that's good in many ways, but are they working together properly for the for the good of Norfolk and it does worry me that we've now got numerous members of Norfolk and Suffolk um, on the on the cabinet and how much does that distract away from them they, if they were sat there now they'd be going oh no of course it doesn't distract we're still fully yeah. we're fully committed to Norfolk blah 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 I would put a bit of a challenge there and then just sorry Mike just to finish on that no carry on I throw into the mix Norfolk County Council I throw into the mix the district councils you know, how well do the district councils and Norfolk County Council work together for the good of Norfolk? I would put some challenge out there on that as well, that at times maybe there's a bit, um, you know, there's, there's not the unity that, that there should be. Um, maybe at times there's a bit of kind of, I look after my patch or, you know, this is my domain, don't you come and encroach into my mm -hmm. area. So I think that confidence is something, but I think that and I bet you the likes of Chris Sargison, Claire Cullens at Norfolk Community Foundation, if they listen to this, they'll be nodding away now. I think that at times there needs to be more unity and a bit more kind of, let's do all this for the good of Norfolk, not just for the good of my own, my own little world or developing, developing my, my career. Yeah, I think my, my I, I feel like I sort of, on, on the one hand, I kind of have to sort of say a word for my former uh, uh, opposite numbers in, in various MPs offices to say that, that um, a, a lot of the constituency matters will be, I'm sure, will be, I know will be very safe in their hands. However, you make an excellent point, and it is hard when you you, you sort of start out as Norfolk's man in Westminster, mm. and you kind of, or Norfolk's woman in Westminster, and you morph into Westminster's man or woman in Norfolk. Yeah. So you end up here talking yeah. to the government line uh, rather than there. Uh, and it's, it, it is a very difficult balance to strike. I, I you, think... can, you can be outspoken an outspoken I mean if Sir David Amos is a very good example of someone who was absolutely he didn't want to be in the cabinet he didn't want to be government he was tooth and nail for yeah. the south and south and south and south end uh, to, to the point of I shouldn't bang the table I should know better than that south well it's politics it gets us passionate it does uh, to, to the point of you know uh, driving people up the pole uh, but um, again he, he, he did that but he, 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 did, he knew doing in doing so he would never attain high office, and yeah. you, you know, you don't. People don't go into politics uh, without a certain level of ambition, I don't think. And um, for my own part, I remember being asked on the train by Look East, you know, you know, well, what about Westminster? And my view was, and I'd, I'd welcome your reflection on this, is that I want to focus on what are our leaders mm. in this region, mm. in Norfolk, in Suffolk, in Cambridgeshire, in Essex, that we pull before we have to worry about yeah. going to Whitehall. What can we do? Uh, that, 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 that's inventive and new and, uh, and talking up ourselves without having to worry about what Westminster thinks and Whitehall thinks. Yeah, well I think the, just one thing I wanted to say Mike is that I don't doubt the intentions of, um, no, of, no, no, of the MPs no. that, that you know I, I think they do an incredibly tough job and um, you know I think they probably get a heck of a lot of stick for it and um, yeah there's lots of people out there who have views on MPs, but my view has always been: I don't think that you become an MP to get to get rich. Because if you, it's a bit like those people who work for the mental health trust. Some of the bosses of the trust get really condemned by camp campaigners, and I agree with a lot of what the campaigners say. But I don't think people get into those positions, like running a mental health trust or being an MP, 
um, without having a lot of um, brains um, and a lot of drive and a lot of putting a lot of effort in, they probably would find it much easier to make a lot more money if that was kind of what they're driven by by doing something else. So I, mm. you know, I think it's a question more of kind of it's hot, a balance, you know, and that must be so hard to strike. I totally understand that. Um, having done a job where you know you kind of one minute you're concentrating on something and then something else happens, you've got to concentrate on that. You know, it, it's hard. Mm. Um, so to go back to, to your initial question, I think that the biggest thing that we need to do in Norfolk is, is really find the, on, on our niche. We need to find what it is that, we're, that we are famous for. Our USB, um, yeah. Our USB, and I think that... The USB, um, it's USB, USB. Yeah, our stick. Our USB stick, Our USB. And I go back to wind farms, yep. being a, you know, and energy being a fantastic opportunity, fantastic opportunity. Um, the, and you can throw in the environment into that. You know, we've got, we've got the leading climate research centre yeah. in our city. Yes. In our city. Yeah. How phenomenal is that? So how does Norfolk, because you know, the, we know that climate change isn't, isn't going away. You, surely no one is, is a denier anymore no. or anyone with a kind of, you know, I'm sure there are people who still deny but come on, look at the evidence. Yeah, um, absolutely. So what part can Norfolk play in becoming renowned around something like like the environment. We've got the and Energy Innovation Park yeah. uh, coming online near, near, near Wyndham, Hethel. So and it's about us finding our, finding our niche mm. and, and finding a way to then really, to not just half us cover that area, but how do we really invest in that? How do we make that more than just, I'll use again the research park here, you know, great facilities, et cetera, et cetera, but it's more potential there, you know, but it takes a lot of investment, yeah. doesn't it? So if it's all well and good us sitting here and saying, you know, here's an opportunity, but how, how do we get the money? How do we get the impetus and to to make to to lift to lift that so that when people hear Norwich or Norfolk, they instantly think, oh yeah, you know, they're famous yeah. for all the amazing stuff they do on the environment. The will is here. I mean, don't forget that Norfolk, uh, sorry, Norwich. Um, you know, we talk about the Green Party. Norwich, other than Brighton, was exactly. was the second no, most. No, you know, yeah, so right. and I think that shows that there's you know there's there's a kind of a view here that you know it would chime with i think that people find the subject fascinating and you'd probably find there's more people who are prepared to active activate around environment issues here than other parts of the country Absolutely. so there's there's an opportunity well we're sitting here in whitlingham country park uh looking at this absolutely gorgeous chilly uh, october morning and it's a glorious view and and you're, you're absolutely right this is, it is such an opportunity and i think with the right proposition um, you can you can really you can really move mountains. I mean, um, I remember the when the UEA brought forward its regeneration plan, and I I remember at the time and we this, this is circling back to something we mentioned earlier that thinking that why aren't you saying this talking about this about a way to bring bills down? Mm. Why you know mm. why are we focusing on the the kind of more lofty parts of the argument and the more uh, moral we which aren't necessarily wrong, but it, it, is it? going to win over people who are otherwise more in, inclined to see the disruption rather than yeah. the end and end, end benefits so um what are, i mean do you, do you want to reflect on that further or have you got no okay <laughs> all right that's fine um but you put it brilliantly. Want, just to go back to the east of england as a concept now i think we are as a region we we are not like yorkshire where there's kind of wherever yeah. you are and, and that's a huge sprawling place there's, n there's a catch-all identity of being yeah. a Yorkshireman. And that doesn't happen here. And I think that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. 
because you have those very individual pockets of identity where, you know, Norwich is Norwich, Cambridge is Cambridge, Ipswich is Suffolk, and, and so on, and Colchester, uh, and, and, and it's necessary to accept that, that, that that's the way things are yeah. and then work out from there. So what, what's your view of, of that and what's the David Powell's uh, prescription for sort of God. moving forward as a region whilst recognising that we are very much individual places? Blimey, I mean, that, that, that's, a <laughs> that's just of, cruel. That, that, that was a cruel. heck of a tough, tough question. Um, I mean, obviously, it comes back down to, it comes back down to earlier point, different counties seeing the benefit from not just looking, at, looking after, after their own. Um, but that is hard, you know, isn't it? Because you want, you, let's talk about tourism. You know, are people going to come to Norfolk and stay in Wells, but also go and spend a few days in, in Suffolk? It's pretty hard to get from one county to the other, and it's a, it's a long old schlep. Um, so there are some things where it, it's quite hard to, to work to, together mm. in, in that way. Um, I guess that that's got again got to come down to, to investment. And are we are we stronger as a as a combined region? Is it easier for us to sh to show the the people who make the decisions around money and where the finance is going to go that you know you, you can have a greater impact? if you invest in a in a region as opposed to just investing in Norfolk, Suffolk or, or Cambridge here. But I don't think, I think it's hard. I think there's not, it's not one size fits all approach on it because like I say, I think that if you're trying to push the people on something like tourism, which, you know, you might think, well, that's a funny subject to say, but tourism is humongously important to this region. Massively important. But I don't know how you can say, I genuinely think that if you were to launch a campaign that says come to the east of England, do people want to spend their holidays like, when I go on holiday, I want to bed down somewhere and I want to get to know a local area. Mm. I don't want to travel, 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 especially if you're a family who's got kids and, you know. No, no, you don't do that. Exactly. Um, and you don't want to spend your week just being asked how long, how, how long till we get there. Yeah. So I think there are things that it is quite hard where you have got to be, you have got to be, you know, I think it's fine to sell Norfolk and to say, come to Norfolk because you can be in Norwich and then 20 minutes later you can be at, almost at the coast and then yeah. another 15 minutes later you can be on the broads and then another however many minutes later you can be back in Norwich again. That for me is a, is a really good sell but I don't think it's a great sell on something like that to say come to East Anglia because you can go to Cambridge, Norwich and, and Ipswich and then the coast. Yeah. Maybe, and I'm going to do something unusual for me and deploy a football metaphor. <laughs> I and love a football is metaphor. It, is, it, <laughs> is it in fact like you've got Cambridge, Norwich, Ipswich, and something like tourism, as you say, uh, Norfolk, Suffolk, Cambridgeshire, sort of playing in the same league, you know, vying for those, the, those tourist pounds. But there comes a time when elements of those economies are called up yeah. to the East of England squad yeah. to put on the shirts yeah. for the region. Uh, and, um, and 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 unify around that 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 you know three lines or, yeah. whatever, or, or you know whatever our you know equivalent is and get out there on the pitch I, for the region. You're right, but I do think I do think Mike it's going to be hard because go back to Yorkshire. Yorkshire is defined. You know where New Yorkshire is on the map. It's it's a, it's one county. It's it's very you know unique. What's the east of England? Does it does it include Luton? Does it, you know, it's hard to define what, what fluid, the East of it? is. I mean, even when region. people describe where Norwich is, you know, I see it in national stories. Um, 
This happened in South in Southeast England. Well, I think Southeast England is Brighton area yeah. or um, Kent. Yeah. But sometimes Norwich gets described as Southeast England. Sometimes Norwich can almost be in the Midlands. Yeah. You look at the map that we're level with Birmingham. Yeah. I don't. Where is the east? Where, so the, I think yeah. the biggest issue we have, and I'm not. I'm trying not to be negative and say, look, you know, we should give up because you're right. We can be more united and we can benefit from working as a. But I think the biggest issue we'll always have is no one will know what, what the east of England actually is. And that's probably the starting point. If you can define that somehow, then maybe it is a bit easier. Because I'm not sure I no, know. No, I, I think you make a very good point. Because actually, uh, again, on the train, we're talking to Andrew Summers, who's the strategic director of Transport East. And asked just introduce Transport East for those who don't know. And he went to, you know, and he's sort of saying that it's Norfolk, Suffolk, and then uh, Essex, Stanit, and, you know, all these sort of uh, the, the, the unitaries on the, on the outskirts of London. And you, you, but not Cambridge. Cambridge, Cambridge falls into the next one to the west, which is called <laughs> well, uh, England's economic heartlands. And so that one point, and I mean, you've got New Anglia Lep that's drawn the line. I mean, Cambridge has its long and, and difficult history with Leps, and now it's got a mayoral authority. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, New Anglia, Norfolk, and Suffolk. Um, uh, so you're right. It's it's a very fluid picture. I mean, is there a sense that we can turn that from a weakness to an advantage? I, I don't know how how do you how do you do that? I don't. Um, I think it like I say it comes down to defining what what the patch is, and you and it isn't helpful. Where in in one body the east doesn't include Cambridge, in another body the east does include Cambridge. How on earth are people meant to get their head around that? Mm. How, how are people meant to get, to get yeah. their head around that? So you you, you talked about football, um, and football is obviously a huge part of a, of a media yeah. offering. The, yes. the pink un. Um, did you ever get involved in doing the sports section? Well, I mean, could you restrain yourself from I'll, doing it? Oh no, I mean, you get involved because you know I'm a Norwich City fan, and uh, um, you know Chris Lakey, if he was here, sports editor, I'm sure would have a wry smile if you asked, did I ever get involved in? <laughs> you know, <there'd laughs> I, I, do you know what? There'd I have be no idea. Emails about this story or this idea, or um, you know. It, You've got football, like you say, is massively important to regional media. Um, it drives drives sales. There, there aren't, there aren't sadly, in terms of the print, there aren't sadly that many things now that you know will drive good good sales or extra sales. So you know you can guarantee with the EDP that it would sell roughly around the same figure every every single day. But there are six or seven factors, and that's literally it. And I could do a list that you know, well actually, if that happens, that's probably gonna drive an increase in sales. Norwich City winning or doing well is, is one of those. Um, so it's so important, and also being a Norwich City season ticket holder as I am. I was gonna ask, um, yeah, but you were. You know, and a big big fan of the club. I mean, I used to write a Norwich City column, but when I became editor, it just sort of suddenly didn't quite work quite together quite so well, because as a fan, you've got to be very opinionated. As an editor, you've got to go and meet, um, you know, the people meet at the, the middle, top yeah. of the club. Um, so yeah, I would get involved in a lot, and um, you know, really proud. Of, often it would be a front page if we've just got promotion or what we call a front page wrap. So when we do souvenir editions, we'd put a two-page wrap on it, and you know, hope that people would buy that and keep that as one of those collectors' items. So yeah, and um, you know, the other area you get involved in is, believe it or not, you know, relationships with football clubs are can be can be at times touchy. Um, you, yeah. To, and often it depends on what's happening on the on the field of play, and uh, so there are times where, as editor, you have to be called in to try to be a bit of a kind of negotiator and to um, you know to try and just kind of keep things 
keep things smooth. Give it gives sort of a, 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 a more of a channel to the the the, the larger bulk of the fan base than, than 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 perhaps the club can achieve on their own. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing about football. Everyone's got an opinion on it, um, and lots of opinions don't always chime with what the club might how the club might see things. And um, there are times when the football club will just sort of wash it'll wash over them, and they'll be like, "Well, that's football." And there are times when they would get very um, agitated, shall we say, about some of the things that, that have been written. A lot of that comes down to the personalities of the people in charge um, on both sides, personalities of the editors and the personalities yeah. of the chief executive or the, or the manager. Um, and the majority of it comes down to quite simply, you know, at the end of the day, football is just all about whether you're winning or losing. And that can so often determine the the, the relationship between a football club and a, and a local media operation because because when they're winning you know everything's rosy and you're writing positive stories when they're not winning it's hard to write positive yes. stories and in the club you see that and you're very passionate about what you do you want things to be right and you can get you can get kind of emotional about that and i can totally understand that i can see it from both sides do you watch ted lasso I don't know, but oh, I should. No, do you know, I, uh, oh, a, my very great friend, I asked him the other day, he's a huge Coventry City fan. Oh dear, And he said, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Andrew. Um, he's, he, you know, I, I actually remember we at university, he, he did something like this. He went out to interview um, uh, Coventry City at their training ground and took me with him. Um, but uh, I asked him if he watched it and he went, no, 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 I've never come across that. I was like, I've heard of it. I do need to watch really, it. It's, it's, uh, it's I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not. This isn't a promotional <laughs> bit for Apple TV, by the way. Uh, but if they're listening, I'm, I'm not averse. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's. Do, do, do you? This is going to be a tough one to answer. But from 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 a, an editorial perspective, in terms of sell, shifting copies, is it better to have a club be in that kind of? Top of the championship, bottom of the premiership, for back and forth. Well, where you can do like every year, every other year, we're going up, it, uh, or bad luck supplements rather than sort of mid-table. Well, I, t I can tell you, I can answer that question straight away, and I, um, it was always quite hard because obviously um, we're not just driven by newspapers anymore. In media, the website has a has a big um, impact on on the success or otherwise of an organisation. And it's always quite challenged because when Norwich win, people buy the newspaper because they want to read about it, they want to keep it, etc., etc. But they don't often go on the website, um, and the figures are much lower. When Norwich lose, people don't want to buy the newspaper because they don't want to read about it. But what they do want to do is they want to moan about it, so they'll go on the website. <laughs> so you are a bit damned if you do, damned if you don't. And I'll answer that because there was a year when Norwich had the most, as a, as a newspaper editor. There was a year when Norwich had the most perfect year for the industry, and that was um, when we were promoted from the Championship after two semi-finals in the playoffs against Ipswich, and then a final at Wembley. So you've got pretty much every single factor that is, that is the, yeah. drawn in. You've got the two local derbies, which Norwich win, um, loads, loads of kind of passion, loads of souvenir supplements, uh, and then you've got a trip to Wembley, which which you yeah. also win. That, so that almost, but the problem is you can't just have that season over and over again. Football's not like that. But that, and I started as editor of Norwich Evening News the year after that. So I remember starting at about May time and I was looking at the figures and they were, year on year, they were horrific. And I worked out it was because I was starting exactly a year after Norwich had ha had the most perfect season for yeah. the Norwich Evening News. And I thought, oh my God, how bad luck <laughs> yes. is that for, for timing? <laughs> but it's... Is there a story that sort of comes in 
that's ter on the face of it terrible. It's a terrible story. How do you deal with, on the one hand, oh my God, that's a terrible story, and on the other, oh my God, my, you know, I'm responding to this as a journalist should, you know, yeah. this is a story, and I'm going to respond to it. And, 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 and that kind of, when I remember when, not necessarily bad things happened in, in, in politics, but the ex expenses ex scandal kind of broke on a, on a, I think it was a Tuesday or a Thursday, it began with a T. And I remember thinking, this is, on the one hand, this is going to be really tough. Yeah. But on the other, this is this is in a perverse way. Yeah. This is going to be. Get. This is going to get. I'm going to get my teeth into this, yeah. and I can see the, see a strategy. I think that that comes down to as to to never forgetting your kind of humanity. Almost, <laughs> you know, there are terrible stories that you have to cover as as a journalist. But I believe that 99.9 times out of 100, you can justify um, why they should be covered. Um, now that doesn't mean everyone agrees with that, and you might just take a, for example, a horrible murder in a in a Norwich community, and I can think of plenty of examples of that. Um, there'll be a, a proportion of people there who don't want you there. Um, you have to act in a certain way. You have to act with humanity. You have to almost suck up a bit of that negative reaction. Ultimately, I believe that when those types of things happen, the rest of the community needs to be informed, needs to be reassured, and that's what role the media plays. Um, I think that's more of a local media role as well. Yeah, I mean, oh, absolutely. You, and there's, You don't have that interest no, when you're coming to you national. No, and I mean, you're right, and that's why that's so important as well, is that if you're in the national media, your your reputation is nationwide. You can go into community, you can act, you can act how you want. And I've seen examples of this. You can rub people up the wrong way, and it ain't going to impact your reputation. And I would say this to all journalists who start in the... You know, I do would do a question in the interview all the time about how do you deal with a, a situation where a family has lost a loved one, blah, blah, blah. If you act in a way that isn't humane and um, and it's just all about the story, you forget that 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 they're people. They're not just there to give you a story. Then you act in a way that is disrespectful, and that word gets around. And in Norfolk, word gets around very quickly. It does. And it doesn't take very long. And we haven't always got this right. And when we get it wrong, I always try and would always try and put my hands up and say we got it wrong. When you get it wrong, it doesn't, if you get it wrong too many times, it doesn't take long for you to have no reputation left. Yeah. And so we would always try and drum home with our reporters, you know, on any story like that that you're talking about where it is a really sad, serious, you know, there is a, always a public interest, always a reason to cover it. But if you forget your humanity, if you forget that they're real people that are going through the worst, most traumatic times, then it will rub off on how you behave. And that is, is the, a bad way to go for reputation. Just, just in closing, then, what is your favourite number one story? The one that's <sighs> broke David Powell's into a giant grin. Or you can give me a number. I mean, I'm not going to. Uh, but uh, you know, what, what's what's been the one that you've just r r not been able to stop smiling as your fingers have moved across the keyboard? Oh my God, Mike! What a, what a question that is. Um... Oh, you've got so many you can't possibly think of one. That's, that well, can only be a good I thing. I just think that one of the great things about the job is it just give you, you just get pulled into adventures. So, I mean, I always remember, um, this isn't even in Norfolk. I was um, a chief reporter at the Burton Mail. And um, that time Burton had uh, got to the uh, FA Cup third round and they had drew with Manchester United at Old, uh, uh, Burton's ground. So they got to go to Old Trafford. And um, because they were quite a small team, they were still conference at that time. So they invited me as chief reporter to go on the bus the week before the game because <laughs> the players were being shown around Old Trafford so that when they turned up, they weren't 
they weren't nervous. And so I got on the bus. Well, that's very generous. You'd think, we want you to be nervous. Got on the bus, yeah. Got on the bus, um, knew all the players by first name terms. One of the players hands me a Burton Albion hat and says, why don't you wear that today? So we get to Manchester and all these players are being led onto the centre circle at Old Trafford and all the journalists, national media are there because it's a great story, um, are being led down the side. And one of their strikers, his name's Dale Anderson, I'll never forget that, he says to me, why don't you come on the pitch with us, Dave? And pretend to be a player. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my photographer goes down the, down the side and I'm on the pitch with all of the Burton Albion players just having a kick around. And my photographer phones up um, on the mobile and he says, oh, Dave, you've got to get off the pitch. I said, why? He said, they've they found out that you're a journalist and they're going, the national media are going, are going, I nearly swore there, are going crazy because they don't want you in their photos. And I said, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and so the next day, all the nationals had these pictures of all of the players, plus myself, <laughs> as, a, as a player for Burton Albion <laughs> on that, those, that small moment in time, having a kickabout on Old Trafford. And that is, that is why journalism can be such a great, you know, such a hard industry to work in. There's so many long hours, it's so stressful, but you get, you get paid to have adventures every now and then that you just never, never forget. Oh, what a perfect note. <laughs> to end this interview with David Pals. Thank you, David. That has been absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed and, it, Mike. Um, Thank you. All, all the best. Yeah, cheers. My huge thanks to David for that massively insightful interview and Eastern Promise wishes him every success in his next steps. And also, a word for how good the coffee is at Whitlingham Country Park Cafe. Spoiler alert, it's very good indeed. Next week, we'll be in the wind as I travel out to the Sunrise Coast to visit Orbis Energy at Lowestoft and chat to Ian Pease, the all-energy business manager at Generate, a pioneering partnership of regional businesses and political leaders that's smoothing the way for investment and development of the energy sector in the east of England. What an absolutely vital job they do. And now... It's been over 400 years since Guy Fawkes had a very bad day at the office. And since that time, he's lent his face to a sight-peddling political gossip and, more potently, an international symbol of anarchy, itself taken from a dystopian movie and graphic novel. Older listeners may remember being asked for a penny for the guy. Effectively, an invitation to sponsor burning someone in effigy. What's more, according to the Bank of England's own inflation calculator, it's now £2.50 for the guy. Poor Guido. 400 years since his grisly demise, and he's still cheaper than a caramel macchiato. And worse, I asked my teenage nephews about him, and they thought he was the guy who invented cutlery. Kids today. All that aside, a properly organised local fireworks display is still a great community night out and a lot less stressful for parents than standing in your shed, squinting into a tin of explosives whilst your nearest and dearest bleat about being bored, cold and hungry. So, let's light the blue touch paper and fire off a rocket of recommendation in this week's... Crowd Sorcery. 
Yes, crowd sorcery. And, appropriately, we start with a big bang from Matt Wood, experienced housing and leisure architect at Hudson Architects. Corpusty! Yes, Corpusty. Thank you, Matt. And Dr. Catherine Gelbert-Thick of Acuity Limited says we go to Watton in Norfolk. There's a fun fair and eateries and the firework display is great. It's not far from home, so no major travel involved. And to the people of Watton, have a great bonfire night. I know Catherine Wheel. What? 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 Another Norfolk suggestion comes to us from genial gentleman of business, Brian Bush. Solutionist, advocate, connector. Always been hypnol for us, says Brian, as a local, and it's a great display. Penny Hundleby, PhD, senior scientist at the John Innes Centre, has been spoilt over the years because the John Innes Centre used to put on a brilliant display each year run by volunteers but stopped during Covid. Oh, do you know, I would love to go to a display on the Norwich Research Park. Come on, boffins! Now, I put out a plaintive call for recommendations in Suffolk and Tim Robinson, Chief Operating Officer at Tech East, rockets to the rescue with Heaveningham Hall. I'm indebted to the website Muddy Stilettos, who at suffolkcams.muddystilettos.co.uk have a list of the best firework displays in Suffolk and Cambridgeshire for this year. For Suffolk, you can find the aforementioned Heaveningham Hall, plus a couple of displays in Ipswich, Woodbridge, Bury St Edmunds, Stowe Market, Long Melford and Rendlesham. For Cambridgeshire, we have Peterborough, Cambridge itself, St Ives, Kimbolton, Huntingdon and Ely. That's a great list. I encourage you to check it out. Reminding us that fireworks are also a staple of New Year's is Michelle Chambers, Business Development Manager at Chaplin Farrant, who says... The Chroma Pier fireworks are a very good display, as you get the reflection on the sea too. These days, Michelle finds herself wondering when her feet can go home for a bit of warmth, but she can usually last out a fireworks display with a bag of sweeties in hand. Meanwhile, a wistful thought of November's past comes from Richard Powell OBE, Environmental Charity Advisor and Independent Chair. Ooh, says Richard. I might have to miss out on this one. We haven't been to a display for probably 15 years. Recommendations, when I asked, came up with Thorpe Nest Lake Carnival, but that's in the summer. Now, Richard, you have a veritable cornucopia of displays to choose from across our region. But finally, we have two important reminders. First, from Tom Abbott of Green Easy. Tom points out that although beautiful, fireworks may not be so good for the environment. According to sciencefocus.com, fireworks propel a cocktail of chemicals into the atmosphere. For example, the vivid colours in a firework display come from metallic compounds such as barium or aluminium that can have negative impacts on animal and human health. Additionally, to produce the oxygen needed for the explosion, many fireworks contain oxidizers known as perchlorates. These can dissolve in water, contaminating rivers, lakes and drinking water. Finally, Fireworks release a fine cloud of smoke and particulate matter, affecting air quality locally. But don't despair. Newer, cleaner fireworks replace perchlorates with safer alternatives or use compressed air to reduce the smoke created. And finally, as a pet owner myself, I'm particularly indebted to Sandra Persaud, 
volunteer management consultant, academic and business mentor at SLP, and all the way from the USA. Please be upstanding. Sandra rightly points out that dogs hate the racket. So, whether you've got a four-legged friend, furry or feathered, please, please, please make sure they're inside and safe on the evening of November the 5th. And if you're having your own fireworks display or bonfire, please make sure your neighbours know in advance. And do check your bonfire for hedgehogs and other wildlife before you light it. I'm also bound to say that if you are in any way in any doubt about safety, please go to an organised display. And that's it for episode 42 of Eastern Promise. My huge thanks to David Powells for such a fun and insightful interview. To all this week's crowd sorcerers, and to the man, the myth, the legend that is Engineer 49. I'll be back next week with more wind than usual. Until then, bye for now. Can you say Eastern Promise, Ellie? No, it's a weird name. You just call it Chocolate Promise. Chocolate Promise? <laughs>